Carrying on through our series in Genesis, and uh, we've reached Abram. We heard about his call last week. And now here today we come to a section in the second half of chapter 12, which is it's a bit of a weird little incident, just a bit of an aside, and would it really matter if it wasn't in there? It's one of those little parts of, you watch it in a film, and you wonder what that scene was there for. It just kind of happens, and then they move on again. It's an interesting one, but it's one I've been aware of, but never really focused on. But having focused on it over recent weeks, I'm fascinated by it now. And there's a lot more here going on underneath the surface. And I love this now. What? 14 what? Chapter 12. Did I say 14? I did say 12. What's he doing? Stop it. You've had your bit. You stay down there now. (laughs) It's my go now. It's definitely chapter 12. It's okay. It's definitely chapter 12. The second half... Of Genesis chapter 12. Have you ever attempted, we heard about it a little bit during worship actually, have you ever attempted to make decisions without prayer and to do things your way? Hands are staying down but I suspect they want to go up. Yes, I know. Is it, is it sometimes very easy to end up doing our own thing and navigating life without taking God into consideration until we realise we should have done that with hindsight? Who's good at that? I'm often quite good at that. With the small things, that's okay. God expects us as we grow in our faith, to, as we mature, to be able to make our own minds up about some of the smaller things. Dear Lord, should I buy a black car or a red car? <laughs> I'll let you decide that. That's fine. But when it comes to the bigger decisions, we can still leave God out of the mix, can't we? It's quite easily done. And today, we're going to look at this passage about a man who makes a very big decision and other decisions in light of it. And then there are consequences in light of that. And he seems to have done it without God in the conversation. This is a guy who heard a very specific call from God. Who's probably heard from God in a far greater capacity than I have, that I'm aware of. No. And yet, almost immediately, he goes off and does his own thing. It's very interesting. So let's read this. And then we realise that this seemingly incidental passage, this little scene, actually... It's far grander than we realise. It applies to all of us and it leads straight to Jesus. Isn't that cool? I love it how the Bible does that. Let's start from chapter 12, verse 10. Abram and Sarah in Egypt. Now there was a famine in the land. Just remember that we just heard about Abram's call and God has promised him this promised land that he sent him to and that through your offspring I will bless all families in the earth. This is your land now. Just remember, straight away, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, that you may go well with me because of you, that it, may, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Always camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh, and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called to Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? 
Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you, why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Bit of a weird one, wasn't it? Let's just pray. Lord, even when we come across little scenes in, in your word that, that just perhaps seem a bit weird and a bit inconsequential, we move on to the next one. Lord, I thank you that it's still your written word and you can still speak to us through it. Lord, your word is built in such a way, it has arrived in our laps in such a way that all of it is applicable to our lives and all of it is there for a reason. And Lord, even this morning, Lord, may we gather some truth from this that affects us each as individuals and as your people together. Lord, speak to us, I pray, this morning. Amen. It's a bit of an ambiguous passage, really, isn't it? All it does is present the situation, tells you the story. It doesn't really explain much of what goes on behind the scenes, what Sarah's response was. Does she have much to say on the subject? What were her thoughts? How did Pharaoh suss out that the plague was because of Abraham? The Bible makes no comment on any of that, does it? It just presents the facts, which is very interesting. It leaves the ethical questions for us to work out for ourselves. Very interesting. So it's always good to look at the Bible from the context of the whole Bible, understanding how God has presented himself, who explains who he is, what he's done for us, and in the light of that, understand what's going on here. Very, very interesting. First of all, we're going to look at Abraham's actions, we're going to look at the consequences, we're going to look at God's actions as a result, and learn what that means to us. Is that okay? So Abraham's actions first, or Abram as he was at the time, changes his name very shortly. This guy, Abram, He's moved from Iraq to this promised land that he's been given. And there's a famine. So what does he do? He moves to Egypt, which makes sense. Because of the Nile, it's a very, very fertile region. And you see it a few generations later with Joseph. He uses that to his advantage with an upcoming famine that's been promised by God. And so uh, Joseph helps the nation of Egypt gather extra huge abundance, don't they? which they then actually, when the famine does arrive, they're not able just to feed themselves, but other nations. It's amazing. It's a very, very fertile region. So when famine comes in the land of Canaan, it makes sense, doesn't, doesn't it, for Abram to go, well, there's fertility over there, we'll go over there. Sounds like a wise move, doesn't it? The thing is, though, has he had God's permission to do that? That's a big decision. And when God has promised in the land of Canaan and said to him, go there, and that's where I'm going to bless you. And that's where I'm going to bless all families upon the earth that are to come. And I'm going to do it through your offspring in this land. At no point, as the Bible told us, that God told him it's okay to go anywhere else. So Abram's lack of trust of God in a time of famine has been to take it into his own hands. Very interesting. So first of all, that's the first part of Abram's actions. The second part is about this lie, isn't it? So, as a result of him deciding to go to Egypt, he's realised he could be in trouble if someone wants his missus. Sarah was a bit of all right. She was about 70, believe it or not. She was about 70. See, there's things we forget about Abram. He led a trained army. You'll find that in a few chapters of time. We'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. Abram led a trained army. 
and he was married to Helen Mirren. It's true, she was a septuagenarian hottie. And so, she's very beautiful. He fears for his life. So obviously, he's entering some, some kind of nation where they're willing to take by violence. He worries about his own safety. So he tells her to lie. Say, you're my sister. Take that ring off. A bit weird, isn't it? Would that occur to me? My wife's very beautiful. If I go to a country, would I tell her to... We don't even look alike, even remotely, do we? Probably just as well. You'd be about this tall and about that big, that wide. It's a very interesting ruse. What is curious, actually, there is an element of truth to it. It's, it's, it's actually a half-truth. He and Sarah are related through Abram's dad, which is a little bit weird. Don't dig into that. We won't go there. <laughs> a little bit of a worry. They are related through terror. So there's a half-truth to it. But he says, pretend you're not my wife, pretend you're my sister. He actually does this again in a few chapters' time, chapter 20. So he obviously hasn't learned his lesson either. People are good at that in the Bible, aren't they? Not learning their lesson. <laughs> so Abram's ruse, it has a half-truth to it, but he tells his wife to lie. Say, you're not my wife, to tell him you're my sister. And yet God has promised Abraham to stay in this land. This is, this is the land I've given you. Abram decides to go somewhere else. As a result, ends up lying, ends up deceiving because he's fearing for his life. At no point is Abraham trusting God in this, is he? Already. Just a few verses after being, having this full conversation with God. He's stepping outside of God's provision. He's stepping outside of God's plans. And it's happened very, very quickly. It's unraveled very, very quickly, isn't it? And Pharaoh has taken Sarah to be his own wife. What a mess. Verse 19, Pharaoh says, Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? He didn't just take her into his household, he took her for his wife. Either he's now sleeping with her or he's planning to. Abram, what have you done? You let him take your wife and someone else is sleeping with her. In fact, this, all right, she's 70, but bodies worked a bit different in those days. Abram could end up being a stepdad to a half Egyptian royal heir. <laughs> what a mess! An absolute mess. This is what happens when we try and take things into our own hands. And then to rub salt in the wound, verse 16. And for her, Sarah's sake, he, Pharaoh, dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. He's given... Abram, loads and loads of stuff in return for his, in inverted commas, sister. How would I feel when I've now lost my wife? She's either sleeping with or being seduced by someone else. And I've been given loads of material goods in return for that. That's rubbing salt in the wound, isn't it? How would I feel? What would my conscience been doing? It would be eating me up. What have I done? Right old mess. That's Abraham's actions. That's the repercussions of it. What happens next? God has to step in, doesn't he? He's been left out of the conversation. God has to step in. What does he do? He brings judgment on Pharaoh and his house. He brings plagues on Pharaoh and his household. Now, Pharaoh was oblivious to the deception, wasn't he? 
As far as he's concerned, Sarah was Abram's sister. Lovely, she's nice. Helen Mirren, lovely. I'll marry her. So, as far as we're concerned and he's concerned, he's innocent of all this, isn't he? Someone nodding, someone shaking their heads. Is he innocent or is he not? He didn't know. He was foiled by deception. Is he innocent? God still judges him and sends a plague on him and his household. Is that fair? I heard a little yes over there. All of us, whether we are conscious of sin or not, or whether we are aware of the existence of God or not, none of that makes us innocent before God. Whether you're aware of the dark aspects of your heart, or whether you think we're all good, but we can choose to do bad, is how some people view humanity. Whether you're aware of sin or whether you're not, doesn't excuse you from the fact that you're a sinner. Whether you're aware of God's existence or not, doesn't excuse you from the fact that he exists. I didn't know doesn't excuse responsibility. Ignorance is no defence in the eyes of the law. That's written down. In the eyes of our law, ignorance is no defence. I didn't know it was the 30 mile an hour speed limit when I was doing 45. You still broke the law, you still got to pay the penalty or go to prison. I didn't know is no defence. I didn't know that part of my income needed to be declared to the tax man. You still owe us money or you still go to prison. I didn't know is no defence. Interesting, isn't it? So we can look at Pharaoh and go, well, he's innocent. It wasn't his fault, so why is God judging him? Actually, he's still not innocent. Curious, isn't it? Before God, Pharaoh was still found wanting. And before God, without his help, we are still found wanting. There's no excuse. And so, here is a guy who has wandered off God's roadmap for his life, who has now lost his wife, could end up dead to somebody else's child. He could also, if they were liable to kill him for Sarah, he could also be killed when they find out about his deception. So his life's still in danger. And it's all because of compromise, which is because of a lack of trust and a lack of worship. And that was affecting other people and their families as well. A bit of a mess. So those are the consequences. But God is still faithful. He could have gone, do you know what, Abraham, I'll give you a go. I'm going to try Bob over there. Bob from Iran. But no, he was still faithful to his promises to Abram, even though Abram has completely left him out of the conversation and moved on. God is still faithful. The grace here is quite overwhelming. What does he do? Not only does he send a plague on Pharaoh and his household, but he keeps Abram safe. Verse 20. Well, sorry, verse 19. Why, this is Pharaoh saying, why did, you, why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men, gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. 
Abram could have been killed for his deception. If Pharaoh or others were willing to take by violence, it's quite a barbaric place really, wasn't it? They want something, they'll take it by violence. That was what was liable to happen. That's what frightened Abraham. If they were willing to kill him for his wife, they're just as likely to kill him for his deception, aren't they? And yet he's not killed, he's sent away. And, verse 20, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Pharaoh has given him a lot just now. Staff, animals, camels. He's given him loads. He's become a rich man in a time of famine. Hello. Interesting. Abraham has left with more than he arrived with and he has become rich in a time of famine despite his actions and the consequences. Isn't that fascinating? What a faithful God. Did he deserve it? No. And yet Father God did that for him. There is our God. There is our Father taking care of his family even when they screw it up. I love that. We can easily wander off God's roadmap, can't we? Have you ever wandered off God's roadmap? <laughs> oh yeah. It's easily done, isn't it? We can try and seek safety or happiness our way, can't we? I will be happier if I get dot, dot, dot. I will be happier if I marry dot, dot, dot. I will be happy if I move away. I will be happy if God wants me to move, but I'm going to stay. I will be happier here. I will be happy if... That very first song, my, my, greatest, pleasure, uh, my greatest treasure, isn't it? Jesus, priceless treasure. That whole song's all about that, about delighting in him, but above all other things. And yet we so often don't, do we? And we think we will be happy if this, 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 or this. I will be happy if I'm involved in a relationship because I'm lonely. Well, maybe, but make sure it's the right relationship. See, it's a question of worship and a question of trust, isn't it? That's exactly what Abraham was. Just a few verses after God has promised him, effectively, spiritually, the world. is a massive promise over this guy. God has been speaking to him. And Abraham is able to pray. Abraham is a prayer because right at the end he builds an altar and he has a conversation with God. He, he calls on the name of the Lord is the word that's used. He's a prayer and yet within a couple of verses he's not doing it anymore and he's taking things into his own hands so that as far as he's concerned he'll have enough food in his tummy and he'll be safe. It's a lack of trust, it's a lack of worship straight away, isn't it? And what a mess he ended up in. See, when we revere God more than man we won't crumble this is simple and as profound as that when we're struggling to pay the bills and we, we're tempted to hide some of our income from the tax man so we can pay those bills in our heads when we trust God for his provision we won't do that it's as simple and as profound as that isn't it when we're on our own and we want Mr. or Mrs. Wright because then we'll be happy. If we trust God that he'll provide, we won't marry someone we shouldn't be marrying. 
I know loads of, actually young guys as well, but particularly the young, young ladies, uh, particularly at City Church, there was quite, there was quite a few. And they were approach, fast approaching their 30s, if not already in their 30s. They still weren't married. A lot of their friends were. And they openly said to us, I just, I just want a husband and children. I want a family. And they were tempted to just go and marry the next nice guy they found. He doesn't love Jesus, but he's really good looking. He's funny. He makes me laugh. And he's got a bit of a brain. It's a temptation. Because they don't want to be on their own for the rest of their life. And I get that. But they held out. And everyone I know that wanted that, but held out, have married a godly man and now they've got children. Sometimes they weren't even married till they or even met them till they're like late 30s, even early 40s. And now they're married and they've got children. There were two that actually that wasn't their big thing and now they're quite happy being single, looking after kids in different countries in Africa. They're fine with that, that's okay. But the ones that really wanted these kids and the, their husbands, they, they didn't go off and find the next nice looking bloke who made them laugh a bit. They waited for the right godly man who would help them pursue Jesus more rather than prevent them from pursuing Jesus more. Good for them. God honoured that and he gave them the desires of their heart because they delighted in him first. But the temptation is to take matters into your own hands sometimes, isn't it? Or about when it comes to work. Some of us, the temptation might be it's all about money, it's all about career. And you go pursuing that rather than asking God what he wants you to do. Or conversely, I'm just going to sit in the corner with a nice little job with no responsibility whatsoever because I want the easy life. Okay, that might be for you, but have you asked God if that's what he wants for you? He might be asking you to step out of the boat and take on some responsibility and stop being lazy. I don't know. But it's not always about money and career. Sometimes... Our temptation is to go the other way. And God doesn't want that. He wants you to have some responsibility because he wants you to grow. It depends. But do we involve God in the conversation? Because quite often when we don't, we end up in the right old pickle, don't we? And even when it comes to church, about keeping quiet about certain hot potato subjects, certain ethics, certain things that are going on in the political arena, we're not going to go involved in politics per se, but there are subjects we need to be talking about. And if we shy, about, shy away from talking about them because we're frightened about what other people might think of us, is that really what God wants? We're not going to go out of our way to push other people's buttons either. We need to be sensitive. But we shouldn't be afraid of speaking about where we stand biblically, what we believe God wants us to say. We shouldn't shy away from these things. Some churches are. They're openly saying, we will not make a stand on that subject because we're frightened of losing followers what I've been reading actually God wants us to speak out what his heart is for the world and for the nations and for individual lives and we need to be willing to share these things it's difficult sometimes but the temptation is to refrain from that isn't it and so here when Abram is worried for his life he's tempted to lie and it's all because of a lack of trust and a lack of worship and we can end up in the same boat trust is hard isn't it? Trust is very easy on paper. Trust God, you'll be all right. Okay. Monday morning, maybe not. Trust is very easy on paper. Because it's because we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see what's around the corner. God does. And trusting him for that is very, very, very hard, isn't it? I know that. Amy loves her iPad. Loves her iPad. 
and she uses it as an alarm clock in the mornings for school. She wakes herself up at stupid o'clock, to be honest, but that's her choice. But she sets her alarm. She loves her new teacher as well, Mr. D. He's fab. She really, really likes him, and she doesn't want to be late for school. And she doesn't trust me or mummy for getting up on time in the mornings because we're both rubbish in the mornings. We do. You don't blame her. Exactly. So she relies on her iPad for her alarm clock because she wants to be at school on time because she loves her teacher. Last Sunday, was it last Sunday or Sunday before? Sunday before, Amy was being a right old pest. She was being a monkey and giving me a lot of lip. And there came a point I had to draw the line. And for her, the best place to hurt her is to take away her iPad. So I took away her iPad. And she understood why. She didn't fret about the fact that her iPad had been taken away. She understood that. What she fretted about for the rest of the afternoon and did my head in was the fact that she won't be awake in time in the morning to get to school on time because she loved her teacher. And she was going on and on and on about, I won't be up in time and you won't wake me up in time because you're both rubbish in the mornings and I've got to get up and I've got to have a shower and put my uniform on and have my breakfast and do my packed lunch and I've got to be, I don't want to be late for school. It's like, I'd already decided by then I was only taking it away for the evening. I was going to give it back to her at bedtime. I wasn't going to tell her that. And all afternoon, I'm not going to be up on time. What am I going to do? Oh, that's not fair. I need my iPad. I need my alarm clock. What am I going to do? It's like, Amy, shut up. Please just trust me. No, I can't trust you because you're never up on time and you're always running late and you're always running around because you're rubbish in the mornings. Amy, please just trust me. Yeah, but I won't be up on time because I won't have my alarm clock. Amy, will you please just trust me? And she couldn't. It's because she couldn't see around the corner the fact that I was giving her alarm clock back at 8 o'clock. I'd already decided that. I wasn't going to tell her that. But she couldn't trust me because she couldn't see the bigger picture. And that's what we're like with Father God. We must really bend his ear. Oh God, but this and God, but that. And he's like, just trust me. It's around the corner. I can see what it looks like. Hang on a minute. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, but but what about this and what about that? And I'm going to have money to do this and what about this? And that person come along and will you just trust me? It's easy on paper, isn't it? But now can you see, actually, when we recognise the fact that God really can see the bigger picture, who really does know what's coming up, he is never surprised, he has everything in his hands, he is the great provider, he is faithful, his word promises that. Can we just relax a bit and trust him? Maybe. (laughs) I'll think about it. It's hard. It is hard. Know this, though. God's will is not a tightrope. I don't want you to come away from this with the wrong impression that am I ever going to put a foot wrong because then there'll be consequences and I've got it wrong. God's will is not a tightrope. Well, what's the next step? Because if I don't go the right way, I'll fall off and then I've got it wrong again. God's will is not a tightrope. He uses all things together for good for those that love him. Always remember that. So don't forget that. It's not, oh, I've messed up. If I get it wrong, I need to really hear from God on every little decision. It's not about that at all. It's, about, it's just about trusting him in the big things. God uses a number of different paths sometimes to get us to where he wants us to get to, even when we get it wrong. And that doesn't mean we can go off willy-nilly and it doesn't matter if I get it wrong. Well, I'm not so sure where your relationship with your father is then. We want to bless him, don't we? But it's okay. His will is not a tightrope. You're not going to just fall off and then you've lost it. But we still want to bless him and we still want to ask him and involve him in conversation, in prayer with the big things, don't we? 
jobs, careers, marriage, whatever it will be. Moving countries, like Abram. If I was moving to another country, I'd like to think I'd include God in that conversation. Abram didn't. God's will is not a tightrope, but he does have clear plumb lines for our, for our lives to live a way that honours him, that blesses him, is safer for us. That's different, isn't it? But even when we get it wrong, for his children there is huge grace. Abraham got it woefully wrong. And he still ended up, at the end of it, with his wife back and far richer in a time of famine. Isn't it amazing? There is huge grace for all of us in life in general. All of us, without God, are off his roadmap to start with. Without God, we are living life our own way. We're living life outside of his plumb lines for life. We are all guilty, and ignorance is no defence. We're all guilty of being sinners before a living, pure God. I'm sure none of us in this room would ever think that we are pure. No. We all know there's something not right. We can't say, I didn't know there was a God. I didn't know he was holy. I didn't know I was a sinner. That's no excuse when it's still the truth. And there are consequences to sin. Look at the state of the world. Look at the state of our lives when we do it our own way. There are consequences to sin. The plague on Pharaoh's household. There is a plague on this planet. There are consequences to these actions. And there's a plague on our planet. It's corrupted. It's decaying, isn't it? We read about it nearly every day in the papers, what's going on. Some of it we'll be praying about tonight. And yet there is still grace. And I love this came through during our songs this morning. This whole thread. Jesus Christ, our rescuer from a barbaric place, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Eternal God, when we're lost in sin through our own actions, the consequences of our actions, taking things into our own hands, we're in a right old mess. Abram and Egypt. And we need rescue. And we need God to get involved. God got involved. Jesus, Son of God, he came to rescue us as a man to take our place and pay that penalty that we deserved that we might live, that we might be free. He rescued us from that barbaric place, the world as it is, without God in. Jesus rescued us, and anyone, anyone who believes in him as the Son of God who died for them to pay the price for their sins and rose again to secure them once and for all into eternal life, if you believe that, you are far richer in a time of famine than ever you, ever you could imagine. It's the same, isn't it? Abram's story here is our story. Isn't that amazing? Our judge offers us rescue. Our actions just end up with broken dreams, a right old mess, or sometimes just an emptiness. Some people are bumbling along quite happily in their lives, but it's empty and they can't put their finger on it. That's without Christ. That's taking things into our own hands. But in Christ there is freedom. Our sins are dealt with. We are forgiven. We heard about earlier, didn't we? 
And there is one who knows all things, who knows the bigger picture, our Father God. Who will, who is not going to tell us everything. If he did, our little brains wouldn't be able to take hold of it all anyway. He just says, trust me. Do we trust him? Do you? It's a couple of verses I just want to look at. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. Famous verse, but a little reminder. Joshua 1 verse 5. This is what the Lord says to, to, um, to Joshua, who's taken over Moses' mantle for leading God's people. But it's the same pr- promise, still applies to us because it rears up again in Hebrews 13. We're reminded of this verse, but it is the original, the original time it appears. Just the second half of verse 5, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That's even when we get it wrong. There's grace right there already, isn't there? I will not leave you nor forsake you. If you need to be reminded of that verse, stick it on a post-it, stick it on your dashboard, stick it on your bathroom mirror. That's what God says to you. Whether you get it wrong, whether you get it right, I'm not going to forsake you because you're mine now, through my son. But then Matthew chapter 6 Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. It's all about a question of trust and a question of worship, isn't it? Matthew 6, 31 says, This is Jesus himself saying, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? This was part of Abraham's problem. He was worried about going hungry, wasn't he? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's trusting God for provision. For people finding times hard at the moment. It's trusting God that his plans will come through. David's word earlier about waiting and feeling like you've been abandoned. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. All these words in prayers this morning actually fed, fed through to the same subject, haven't they? I think Holy Spirit is saying something quite specific. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will provide for us. He will never let us down, even when things look bleak. And he just says, trust me. Shall we stand? We're going to sing a song. I'm going to sing, this is my desire. It's just a simple expression. This is a prayer set to music. That we're just we're willing to put God first and just to trust Him in all things.